So we are up to point C of Unit 7 of The Gospel is the Power. And in Unit 7, we are using divine power to destroy. We are destroying everything in our lives that is not of God. And in Part C, it is called Resisting the Devil. Now, here's the deal. If you really get this deep, 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 deep down in your heart, down in your spirit, that the gospel is the power and that all you have to do is believe it by faith and receive it like a little child, then resisting the devil becomes a lot easier. I am not one. Look, I am not unaware of the enemy's schemes, and the Bible gives us all of the history and background which you've learned through this course of how the evil one and the principalities work and all of that. I'm not unaware of his schemes, but I don't talk about him. I don't talk about the devil every day. The devil gets very little airtime in my life, and people who know me and walk with me, they know that. The one who gets airtime, and the one I'm talking about with the words of my mouth, is Jesus, unless it is for the purpose of teaching you how Jesus conquered the enemy, because that's always super cool to see how the enemy has no power at all. But as we believe the gospel, listen, the further you go with God, it gets easier, but it gets harder. The Lord is constantly, the more the more you progress, he gives you bigger challenges that require more faith more obedience, more submission, more lowliness. This is what it is to walk with the real Jesus. But the, And the, the evil one is always trying to prevent us from advancing in God. He, you know, he doesn't really care if we're successful in the world. We, if, if we're successful in the world, we might wind up denying Jesus. That would work out great for the evil one. That's not what this is about. The evil one is hit all of his his schemes and strategies are to get us away from Jesus. So for us, the best warfare strategy, again, many thousands of books out there on spiritual warfare with all these great and fancy techniques. If I wrote a book on spiritual warfare, it would be about two pages long because the best spiritual warfare strategy is this, submit to God. Did you get it? Okay. Submit to God. That's your warfare strategy. You want to beat the devil? Get humble. Humble yourself before God. You want to beat the devil? Submit to God. And then all you have to do is apply a little pressure, resist the devil, and he has to flee from you. And where I'm getting that from is James chapter 4, starting with verse 7. It says, plain as day, submit yourselves to God, therefore, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. What does that look like? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So this was to a specific group of people, and they were starting to delight themselves and exalt themselves. There were there were class divisions, and there were wealthy people, and there were poor people. And James was not satisfied with the way that they were handled 
handling themselves. And the evil one was getting in and causing division. James, he said, submit yourselves to God. Resist the evil one who's trying to penetrate in and he will flee from you. And the way that you do this is you've got to draw near to God. You've got to cleanse your hands. You've got to cleanse your heart of your worldliness, of your double-mindedness. You know, God, God is single-minded all the time. But all these other schemes that we've talked about in this unit and in the prior units, those are things that are trying to get you to not submit to God. They're trying to make you double-minded rather than single-minded. We've got to keep our minds, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel is the power for salvation, deliverance, healing, and sustenance. Everything you need for all of eternity, it's that simple. Become like a child. Cleanse your mind of everything else. And if you've been doing something else, he says, you need to mourn and weep over that. You've got to repent of all of those things and humble yourself before the Lord. It is not about all these fancy prayer techniques teaching you how to take authority over this and how to take authority over that. Nope. It's you submit yourself to God. So if you're walking along in your life and you have any uncertainty that of whether or not you're doing the will of God and, and a, an enemy attack comes, the best thing you can do right away is stop what you're doing. Stop. Take a moment you know, you've got all of eternity if you're connected to Jesus. If you have any uncertainty, stop, submit to God, get your instructions from the master, and then resume. If you don't have uncertainty, if you know that you've heard from the Lord, you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you are experiencing resistance to what the Lord has made clear he wants you to do, then this is that same word that we learned before, antistemi. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but you You've got to apply pressure. It's not just to stand while the enemy throws the fiery darts at you. You've got to apply pressure and resist against the forces of evil, and he will flee from you. You've got to draw near to God. Like I said, stop what you're doing and go back, get from the Father his command, what he wants you to do. Well, what does that take? It takes humbling yourself. Humble yourself, stop your own plan, and here's the deal. If it turns out that you were doing your own plan and not God's plan, then abandon your plan. Humble yourself. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. It's not about doing your thing. It's about doing God's thing. If you're doing your own thing and you've got a lot of warfare in your life, that, hey, you listen, God will still help you. God will still love you. God doesn't leave or forsake you or abandon you because he's God and he's just that good. But the warfare that's in your life, if you're doing your own thing, that's not God's fault. It's, I'm sorry, it's not. You're doing your own thing and wondering why there's all this chaos. It's because you're doing your own thing. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. The warfare will go away. Resist him. He must flee from you. Peter says it this way. Humble yourselves before the, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It doesn't mean it's going to happen immediately, but it will happen. Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. It's not about fancy prayer techniques. It's about effective prayer, 
earnest prayer. Put all of your petitions before the Lord. You know, he knows what you need even before you ask him. And Peter says, he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Peter also says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because the adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Are you someone that would be easy to devour? If you are, is your faith strong? Do you know to the depths of your being that the gospel is the power? If you know that, then the devil's going to have to come at you with different things. But if you don't know that, or if you're having a double-minded kind of day, the adversary, he's constantly on the lookout. He's He's on the lookout for the slightest bit of doubt that he can get you off track, get you off course, devour you, get you out of the faith, and back into his darkness and chaos. That's what he's all about, and he's constantly watching you to see how he can trip you up and where your moments of weakness are. But again, the same word, resist. You've got to resist him. And what does Peter say? Resist by standing firm in the faith. And know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. People who are really following the true Jesus, they are going through the same types of trials. The evil one is the same. Jesus is the same no matter where in the world you might be. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The devil and his schemes, they haven't changed either. Okay? Resist him and know that other people are also resisting the same schemes of the evil one wherever it is that they are serving God in this world. And Peter says, after you have suffered a little while. And Peter, in another part of the letter, talks about the value of that, that suffering, like I said before, the 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 value of the trials is that it proves what we really believe. Because we talked about this. Talk is cheap. It's really easy to talk a good game, but is it really in you? And when it comes time for you to suffer, when it comes time for the trial to come, how you respond in the trial will be the proof of whether you actually believe what you say or not. So God sometimes allows us to suffer for a little while to see how we're going to respond to the trial that we're in. Do we respond in faith? Do we respond with the schemes of this world? Do we respond by abandoning our faith? Do we respond with our own attempts at obedience? Do we respond with religion? What comes out of us when we get squeezed? When the pressure is on, what comes out of you? Like a toothpaste tube. When a toothpaste tube gets squeezed, toothpaste comes out. Well, at least hopefully. But when you get squeezed, what comes out of you? Is it anger? Is it religion? Is it self-righteousness? Is it schemes of man? Is it wisdom of man? The ways of this world? Or when you get squeezed, does Jesus come out? Does the gospel come out? Does knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified come out? When you get squeezed, do you humble yourself before God? Do you become even more like a child? Do you worship and exalt God more than ever before when the pressure is on? That's what the trials do. They they make our faith. They show us whether our faith, and they show God and everyone else, by the way, 
Whether our faith is purified as gold or whether our faith is wood, hay, and stubble. But Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Hallelujah. Trials are not without purpose. They are always with purpose. And God is purifying us as we submit ourselves and humble ourselves before him as we go resisting, applying pressure against the evil one by repenting of the things that are not of God and demolishing the arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So that's actually point two. Uh, We're going a little out of order from the study guide, but point two is radical repentance. If you really want to stay connected with God and with Jesus, it requires radical repentance. So uh, Jesus said it this way, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, in the days of John the Baptist, John proclaimed the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven was at, is at hand, right? That was the message of John the Baptist. And people came out of everywhere from all over. Why? Because they were so eager to do what? to repent of their sin and forsake all of their worldly lusts, everything that was not of God, to be clean for the coming of Messiah. It was violent repentance. It was radical repentance. They were thronging to the waters of the Jordan where John was proclaiming the gospel that the Messiah was coming. They thought at that time, not that God was going to come and die on a cross for their sins, but that God was going to come, the Messiah was going to come and destroy all enemies of God. So they were eager to repent of everything, everything that they could possibly think of in their lives that was not pleasing to God. They knew, I got to get right because Messiah is coming. The violent take the kingdom by force. They press their way into it. John, I got to get to you. I got to get to those waters of baptism. I got to get clean of my sin. It is an urgent matter. The violent take it by force, and they won't take no for an answer. They force their way into the kingdom of God through their radical repentance. Jesus also talked about it this way. If your eye, right eye, the best eye, your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, for most people, there are a lot of left-handed people in the world, but the right hand is the predominant hand for most people that you work with, you write with, you do all sorts of stuff with, cut it off and throw it away if it causes you to sin. For it is better that you lose one of your members, even one as valuable as your right eye or your right hand, than that your whole body should go into hell. So again, we've got to hold ourselves to the high standard that Jesus has called us to, being willing to cut out, demolish everything in our life that is not of God. And now we're going to circle back. I kind of skipped over this one in the study guide if you're following along in the writing as I'm speaking. But back in point one, the last one, 
James said, don't let anyone say that I am being tempted by God. You are not being tempted by God. James says God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So let's stop there. There's a little bit more. But, you know, think about the Garden of Eden. The serpent did not force feed the fruit into Adam and Eve's mouth. You know, the serpent didn't come up and like, ah, you know, like force them to eat it. I hope you're laughing right now. That kind of sounded funny. But anyway, he didn't force it down their throats. What he did was he created an argument that caused them to eat the fruit on their own. Why? Because they were enticed by their own desire to be like God by their own means, rather than recognizing that they had already been made in God's likeness. They were enticed. They saw that it was good to the eye. They saw that it was going to make them prosper, and they took it and they ate it of their own volition. The serpent did not force feed them. Okay, it was not injected. It was not like they weren't put in a trance and then it was given to them and they didn't know. They were lured by their own desire. The same thing works for temptation with us. The evil one or even the desires of our own flesh, we are tempted by our own desire to satisfy ourselves or to do things our own way. God is not tempting you to not do things his way. He doesn't play that way. James continues, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I love this language. It's actually taken from Psalm 7, verse 14. The wicked man is pregnant with evil. So James is kind of building on that. The desire, the desire is like the sperm that goes into the egg, right? And it conceives, Hmm, you have this thought. And then the conception that grows like a pregnant woman. Now you've got a fertilized egg. The pregnant woman grows, it grows into something. And then you give birth to a child. Well, desire, it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown up, brings forth death. Okay, so James is building on the Psalms to talk about that. We don't want to bring forth and birth death by being enticed by our own desires. We need to resist the devil and not say that God is tempting us or that God is testing us with evil intentions or evil desires. The evil desires, my friend, are in you and the evil desires are in me. The evil one can bring along suggestions that are not of God, and we've covered a lot of those and what that means. God does not tempt you with things that are not of him. You've got to learn to discern for yourself when the enemy is putting something in front of you so that you are not lured away by your own desire.